everybody, and thanks for joining me for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed. You can find me as Bluffsterini in the home games. Um, I've got the best job in the world. I'm the luckiest guy out there. I get to sit around here every week and talk to this wonderful panel of recreational wizards as we go through the world of the Rec Poker forums hand by hand and post by post. So I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors, Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. And I'd also love to thank everyone on the Wrecking Crew that you can find out about by going to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just open up your ear holes because you're about to hear from a few of them tonight. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 on the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. Uh, I'm Kim Kilroy. I am Fergie 56 on the home game and Pet Vet or Pet Vet 33 everywhere else. And I'm Radman 50 and I, or I actually I'm Rob Washerman. I'm Radman 50 <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> uh, we're also, uh, we're joined tonight by Joseph Stewart and John, uh, some premium members here at Rec Poker that I'm excited to have in the conversation. Um, and yeah, so let's jump right into it. Why don't we? It's Monday night. We're getting together to talk poker. Uh, we've pulled a hand from the Rec Poker forums, which are free to join and post in. I encourage everyone to do that. Head on over to rec.poker and sign up for a free account there. All it takes is an email address and a smile. And uh, we are looking at a hand posted by the one and only Taylor Moss. And his question is, is this the time for a live read? Uh, so this is a hand from the 250 Saturday morning tournament at Canterbury Park. And uh, Taylor says he's got some history on the under-the-gun opponent. Um, his first impression is that they were a newer player, haven't seen them previously, and the way they acted just gave them this sense that they were a newer player. After the first two levels, someone sat down to his left and started chatting like they knew each other before. This new guy seemed way more experienced, so I started to reconsider what I thought of this specific opponent. Their tendencies. They've shown a relentless ability to bet. Seems like they every time they play a hand, they're betting and betting big. We've only seen the showdown once, and the opponent had a straight flush. But worth noting on the straight flush hand, the villain flopped a pair, donk led flop, bet turn, and bet river after going runner-runner for the straight flush. Uh, on to the hand. So the it's the 200, 300, 300 level. Villain's under the gun with 35k, raises to 900, which is three times the big blind. Button calls, heroes in the big blind with about 16K, and calls with seven of clubs, four of clubs. Uh, do we want to stop there and talk about this, or should we uh, just continue in to the rest of the hand? I know Chris and Kim and a couple other folks had a couple things they wanted to talk about. Why don't I just keep uh, going through Taylor's comments here? So flop comes eight of clubs, seven of spades, six of hearts. The hero, so we, we've got the seven of four of clubs. So we've got a second pair, uh, gutter ball straight, and a backdoor flush. We check, which I'm sure we're going to be doing most of the time here. Uh, under the gun bets 1K, which is uh, a pretty small bet relative to the size of the pot. Button folds, hero calls. Uh, the turn is the two of hearts, pretty bricky. The hero checks, under the gun bets 3.5. And this is the point that uh, Taylor wants to talk about in the hand here. Uh, in this spot, it felt like make or break moment. I've got a pair, an opponent's range is full of overcards, and unfortunately, overpairs as well. I consider a raise to deny equity from hands like Ace King that could spike a better pair than us. Plus, our hand has some sneaky backup equity versus a lot of their range. 
sevens, fives, and fours should all be good for us. So ultimately decided to just call because I thought there would be a decent chance of a check back on Rivers given how strong our range looked with just a call here. If anybody wants to jump in, just unmute. Otherwise, I'll take us into the river here. Two of spades, hero checks, under the gun bets 7K. So the comment here from Taylor is probably the only card that over pairs would feel comfortable uh, still betting because now they beat all of our two pair combos if we get counterfeited uh, by the two here on the river. So um, so the flop, the board is now eight of clubs, seven of spades, six of hearts, two of hearts, two of spades. Uh, Taylor counts out his stack. It's pretty much an all in for me. He'd have some chips left, but only a fraction of a start, starting stack. This does feel like a very polarized spot for our opponent. So to me, it just comes down to how likely are they bluffing and how likely do they go for value with their overpairs. I'm having a tough decision, and then it happens. I look over at my opponent because he's directly on my left. And because he's so close and he's looking down, I know he cannot see me staring over at his behavior. It's obvious he's shaking. and He's got a very fast pulse rate. My first thought, he's faking. He knows I was looking at him, so he started to act nervous. But the more I think about it, the more I think this is genuine. He can't see my eyes, and he was shaking as soon as I looked at him. Oh, how I wish I could have seen his reaction during the straight flesh hand. Ugh. So we're left to make a big decision here. Can we call here? Um, the bet sizing indicates polarized range, and our opponent's reaction only strengthens that view of mine. Do you call here? So that is the question. Uh, Kim, you won the race to unmute first. Do you call here and why? Or do you here? want me to answer that question first or go back to the flop action? Ooh, whatever I can, you like. I can answer that question first because it's something that I've talked about a few times on this. And that is, uh, when to make it, when to decide when you're deciding whether to make a big river call or not. And it's the Ryan, Ryan LaPlante trick. I knew um, you were going to bring up the Ryan LaPlante trick. Yes, That's a great because one. It's so important because this is the, this is what someone looks like when they're bluffing and when they have a big hand, they're breathing fast. They may be shaking. They're excited about a big hand and they're nervous if they're bluffing. So you have to just sit and wait. And you have to wait two minutes because if they have a big hand, they can't help it, but they're breathing just slows and they're just a lot calmer after two minutes. They, they can't, that's just part of the natural body's reaction. But if they're bluffing and you're, and they know you're watching them and under scrutiny, their breathing doesn't slow down and they're still really nervous after two minutes. So I've used that in live tournaments uh, a few times. And when their breathing is slowed down and I've called, I've been wrong because I didn't follow it. <laughs> and when their when they're breathing is still really fast and I've called, I've been right. So I think, yes, I would call after two minutes mm -hmm. if it hadn't slowed down and calmed down. And no, I would fold if after two minutes the breathing had calmed down and the person looked not as nervous. I mean, that is one nice thing about facing polarized ranges, right? Is that they're binary, essentially. So if you can exclude one, then you kind of have the other. 
um, which is nice. Like if you're, if you really are dealing with polarized range, if you can get something that tells you it's more towards this side or to the other side, that's just extremely, extremely valuable if you can apply it. So um, I hope you never stop mentioning that Ryan LaFlant trick. Cause I, I just think that one's great. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. Amazing. For, like I, I it's hard for some players to think like, no, no, no I'm just going to take over two minutes and think about this and just like let my opponents do and get some good information. But a river bets, like river situations, you should take some time for. You've got a lot of data to work with and we don't play the river as often as we play other hands. So take your time, use your time bank and get all the, get all the info you can from your opponents. I totally agree. Right. And having said that, if the breathing slows down and they're very calm within a minute, you can just fold. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Rob? I was going to say he made a, a comment in here is he wished he would have seen his reaction when he had a straight flush earlier. So that that's very important and something that I think a lot of people don't do is pay attention even when you're not in a hand to a point, especially the players that are in a big hand and a, and a big decision point. See what they look like, see how they react, and then hopefully see a showdown to understand what they were doing it with. And that really would inform his decision now when he sees this action going on. I like what Kim said about what, you know, Ryan LaPlante's little trick. I mean, that's great. Um, but at the same time, if you pay attention early on throughout the tournament and see these types of reactions, you can get an idea whether that's real. If it's, does this mean he has a big hand or does this mean he doesn't? And you may know that it may inform you of that earlier. Like, I don't think this guy's faking it here. He's either bluffing or he's got a big hand and we just have to decipher which he's not faking his reaction. I mean, it's hard to fake that shaking and fast breathing. <laughs> yeah. And Zach Elwood, um, when, when we talked to him about tells and that sort of thing, cause he comes in and helps us produce some content for our premium members from time to time. Um, he always reinforces that point too, that the most important thing is to establish a baseline because different people are going to have these, they're going to show these effects in different circumstances. Um, so it's about establishing a baseline and like, are they chatty? Are they quiet? When was the last time they were quiet if they're chatty all the time? When was the last time they were chatty if they're quiet all the time? Um, little stuff like that. Uh, Eric Anderson is a premium member uh, and he's he's amazing in the forums. He always puts fantastic stuff in the forums. Um, this response that he's got here references his uh, Quizlet on tells. And uh, he's just goes through a whole bunch of tells that he's already sort of gone through and categorized and talked about. Um, but he makes the great point that my buddy flopped quads at our home game last week. He was shaking so bad he dropped his chips. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because it's excitement and fear kind of express similarly, uh, like Kim's talking about there. So being able to figure out which one it is, um, stuff like that can be really helpful. Uh, Chris, you had a response here. Um, do you want to comment on that? I know you talk about the read specifically, but... Also, there's a question of like what actual hands might they choose in this spot? Yeah, I mean, I think Taylor mentioned in his post, you know, like, oh, this the the second deuce counterfeits any two pair. And so the player might feel more comfortable with their over pairs. But I feel like the more extreme we see these kind of physical reactions, the more 
that it doesn't tell me necessarily they're weak or strong, but it tells me they're they're it goes to more extreme polar. The way I read that is more extreme polarized. Like I would be pretty shocked if this player did this and had queens or something. Like to me, this feels like set or better or kind of garbage, like ace king or ace queen kind of um in this spot. Um and that so that's a big thing that I like. I the nice thing about this kind of thing is, is even if you can't, I love this Ryan LaPlante trick. I love it. <laughs> um, but even if you can't do that, I think one of the things that you can see when you see people reacting, because what you have to remember is what it's if if you can read this as involuntary, right? The body's reacting to a big moment, and that's either like extreme excitement or extreme fear. And that doesn't really happen if you have Queens here. Cause Queens, you're kind of like, did I win? <laughs> I bet, <laughs> did I win? I don't know. I might have the best hand. I might not. I don't know. But like, if you've got pocket eights here, you're probably feeling, you know, that might be a straight out there, but you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Whereas if you've got ACE King, you're like, I hope they fold, please fold, please fold, please fold. And so those are the things I think that create that kind of reaction. And what that can help you do is cut out a lot of that, Mm. that that overpair stuff that you were like considering when you got here when you saw that deuce hit now our seven feels like it's pretty good against everything but really extreme value and now we have to go think back in the hand and think can pocket sixes get here can pocket eights get here with this exact action and uh how many combos is that versus how many i mean i think what ultimately i would come down on is that there are a lot more combos of bluff here than there are of that extreme value um, that a player is going to play exactly with this line. I think the the value we might see is eights and sixes and the, the bluffs are a lot of that overpay or over cards, like all the Broadway cards, basically. And so right. we talk- and he does mention that this player does bet and bet, right. like does right. tend to be right. a bit splashy, right? So, and so to me, this, I would see a lot of ace king, a lot of ace queen, a lot of that kind of stuff showing up here uh, when we call. When when I'd like to go back to the flop, like just take us a little bit backwards in this hand, because we're without the button in this hand, this is, we have all of the nutted hands in our range versus like we have the nuts in our range and under the gun shouldn't have the nuts in their range. We have all the nine tens in our range. We have all the top two pairs or all the two pairs of any kind unsuited and suited in our range as the big blind. When we have the, so if it was just us against the under the gun player, I actually like would like a lead on this flop some of the time against certain players for like a third of the pot or something like that. Um, because we have the button in, now the button also has all of those, uh, especially the suited combos, the nine, 10 students, all of those. So that sort of throws that idea out of the window. But I just wanted to put it out there that this is a really good type of flop that we can lead versus an under the gun opponent. Yeah, great uh, point. Some of the time. And that's in for again for our listeners. That's a six, seven, eight rainbow flop, and it's true. Right. If if you're under the gun players, they're not going to be opening hands like nine, ten from there. Um, even if they are opening 
you know, 10, nine suited sometimes that's going to be a super small part of uh, what they're doing it with. So I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, Joe, you had something you wanted to get into earlier. Is it still a good time? Well, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I think that the, the one thing that um, I would say about given that you identified him as potentially being somewhat newer to the game based on whatever the tendencies are, although that was halfway, he may not know what is a great hand um, mm-hmm. that Queens may only be. And I think that slowing down of breath is going to happen a lot faster for individuals who know what they're doing. If he doesn't know what he's doing really, and there's some suggestion within how he bet the straight flush, then maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just learned. Somebody said be aggressive. And so that's what he does. And he's got enough money to do it. And so when he's in a spot where he's either bluffing or he's got an overcard, he may think, Oh my God, I got Queens. And and this is the best hand ever. And I hope he calls, hope he calls and doesn't realize that, you know, that he really doesn't have the nuts on this particular board. So I, I think you need to be a little careful about the reads if he's new. If he's not so new, then I think it's it's, it's more accurate. That's a great point, Joe, because we actually, a couple weeks ago, um, we did an episode uh, with John, actually, who was here, talking about different levels and how the assumptions that you make about what level your opponent's on is really important when it comes to choosing the strategies to play against them. Um, Like if you think that they're thinking on level two, you want to be strategizing on level three. Um, But if they're only on level one, then you're just going to out-level yourself if you're up here on level three. So I think that's right. Because a lot of these, uh, especially new players, they're like, I've got a big pair. You know, this is a value situation. And uh, so they're not even thinking about it in terms of being a bluff or... uh, uh, yeah, well, you said it perfectly, Joe. Joe I can't, uh, I can't improve upon that. Um, right. What, what I, I just want to add to that, yeah. Jim, that yeah. um, even when people think they're not bluffing, that they think they have a good hand, we only have a bluff catcher, so we're still folding when they're mm. breathing slows, even if they're mistakenly thinking that oh, their yeah. pocket aces are the bomb, right? So. Their their breathing is slowing, and we're still folding our second pair bluff catcher. So because it's it's still a bluff catcher against that. So we're only looking for tells a live tell that tells us this player knows that they're bluffing. Right. Yeah, Joe. Did you have something else there? It just that a you know a newer player. It, it's just going to take longer too. I, I think the mm. um, it was a minute. Uh, that uh, uh, Kim said uh, was the time frame. Yeah, two. Um, two minutes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not that far from my first tournament. It's only about been about two years, and I can remember three minutes. You know, I'm still. You know, the bet's gone. We've gone an entire cycle. My heart's still pounding away, yeah. and I'm trying to just look cool sitting over in the corner. So it, <laughs> I just, you just have to be a little careful about about that. But like the time too. But yeah, totally. And I think also um, one other note. You know, I probably played half a million hands online before I entered my first live tournament. And I, I felt like a newbie at the table. My chip mechanics were terrible. You know, my, my, I didn't understand things about like, you know, uh, uh, how to handle the small blind, big blind dynamic, like all sorts. If you just saw me playing, if you were observing me playing at the table, you'd think this was my first few orbits playing poker. Um, But, you know, I, I think I actually had, a theoretical understanding, you know, maybe an edge on the table, but I was clearly like a newbie there. Um, so that is something as well, I think. Uh, and, and, and people can kind of identify themselves like that. I remember one, 
time this guy across from me was really having trouble like getting his chips in. But he said to his buddy halfway at the end of the hand, he's like, well, I was, you know, drawing 4.5% on the turn. You're like, why not? Right. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you're an online player. <laughs> yeah, Rob. Well, a lot of times too, an online player, you know, when you're sitting there in your underwear uh, playing poker online, you can do anything you want and no one's going to see you. Right. Whereas when right. you're sitting at a poker table, live table, all of a sudden you've got all of these people that are looking at you and could react to what you do. And so you want to look cool, right? You don't want to look like an idiot. So that could make you very nervous too. If you're bluffing and they call you, you could, you know, um, even though it's a good bluff, you could be very nervous because you don't want anybody to know that you're bluffing. You want the guy just to fold. I bluff. That's great. But I don't want everybody to see me bluff. Whereas online, you don't care. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And you don't have to drive home when you're playing online either. So that does matter. <laughs> well, why don't we take a, a couple minutes here and just, um, since this is so, sort of about live tells and how they impact uh, the game. Um, Chris says, I've got to the point where I like looking like an idiot at the table. Yes, exactly. That's how, <laughs> that's your evolu evolution into sharkdom. Exactly. Now you start getting under uh, underestimated at the tables. That's that's exactly what you want, Chris. Um, why don't we take a couple minutes and just talk about some live tells that we've experienced or that we've given off ourselves or what we think generally things mean strong or generally things mean weak. Uh, yeah, Rob says he waits to shuffle chips until the third level. Yep, exactly. There you go. Talk about like some false tells or something like that. Um, so anyone can just uh, unmute and get in if they're if they're interested. I sometimes I think of like timing tells that kind of thing. John, uh, for me, <clears throat> the biggest difference is whether the opponent knows they're being watched or whether they think they are mm. not being watched. If um, they know they're being watched, then usually the tells are reversed. If they really put the chips into the pot with authority, that tends to mean that they're weak. If they tend to put them, you know, just like they don't want to disturb the pot or if, if they just barely touch the table and put them in there, then they usually will have a monster as long as they are aware that they are being observed. However, if they're not aware they're being observed, then everything will come for, through more honestly. Like if you if you're pretty sure they don't know anyone's watching and you, you see them grimace, that means they didn't like whatever happened. Uh, another thing is if they stare at the flop or when the turn card comes um, for an exaggerated length of time, that usually means that they're unhappy with it. And they are in their mind mentally going with, how could the poker gods put that card out there? That's not what I wanted. Uh, and these are generalizations. In any specific case, they may or may not be true. But uh there are things that I have found generally to be useful. We've got a couple chat comments in the chat here. Keith says, um, years ago playing blackjack tournaments, I would take Tylenol right before a tournament so my hands wouldn't just shake all the time. There you go. That's cool. And Kim says, hey, sometimes handshaking is just a hangover. Uh, go with a breathing tell. <laughs> um, one that I've noticed is uh, some players, um, if, they, if you start developing chip stacks like if you if you end up playing getting with a lot of chips in there and you've got different denomination uh chips some players will happily throw in low denomination chips that they want to kind of get rid of when they're bluffing 
and will play with the larger denomination chips uh, when they're when they are going to win that pot back. And those are the chips that they want to have back in their stack again later. Um, so that's that's is obviously is not always true. But uh, if someone is typically betting with one thousand chips and then they put in like a three thousand bet with uh, five hundred chips, as yeah, Kim says, more chips look scarier too. So sometimes um, that can be a way to kind of like strong is weak, weak is strong kind of thing as well and i I do want to say when it comes to tell specifically we talk about this all the time these should really only be tiebreakers what you should be using to make your decisions are a sound fundamental understanding of math and ranges and player types and then if you're having trouble like andrew brokus talks about having three buckets of hands monsters draws slash air and medium strength hands and if you can eliminate one of those kinds of hands, then usually your job as a poker player is going to be much easier when it comes to ranging your opponent. So it, mostly this, we're in the elimination game as poker players. Um, and these are, you know, tells should, you should really just rely on them as kind of like a tiebreaker when, when you're having trouble deciding which bucket you think your opponent's in. Chris? Uh, I think, I mean, you, you mentioned timing. I think timing is such a big one. Uh, when people... So there's, there's like two kinds of fast bets. There's like the fast bet where it's like, I don't have much of a decision here. And that's like, they just, so they just make the bet. And that's a, to me, like a evidence of like the Andrew Broca's condensed range. Like they don't have much of a decision, whether to raise or fold. It's just like, I'm always kind of going with this. It's an easy decision. It's a middle of the road hand, but when it's super fast, when it's like beats you into the pot, um, like it's like, it's like, uh, like, faster than fast should be really like that to me is a big tell of um a player that usually has a pretty weak hand um especially if it's in earlier streets because it's trying to sort of like send a message to you to like it it's it's that opposite thing and then the last thing that i think is really big is um the this is a zach elwood one but that i have See, if you let people and you get a talker and they have speech that's diminishing the strength of their hand, but in a way that is sort of like, well, I don't have quads here or like those kinds of like, um, you know, I hope you don't have quads, you know, it's the, the things that like suggest that like they don't have the best hand, but they probably have the second best possible hand. Right. That it's it's those kind of like speech things that I think are usually pretty reliable at least with players who are you know maybe not that self-aware and chris you're saying if if uh, if the player is saying something that sort of like diminishes the strength of their hand then they are holding a value hand more often yes. than a bluff yes because bluffers will not often subconsciously or consciously diminish the value of their hand in your mind right right yep. and so they're they're basically they're trying to convince you um, that you know. Well, I don't have. I don't have the. I don't have the absolute goods here. So, but the. But you can't beat me. Still, is basically what they're saying. That's the subtext. <laughs> so, would you ever in that spot, if you were Taylor, would you ever initiate conversation with that person? Mm. Mm-hmm. Would you ever try to? Get you know, ask him a question. I've heard that you ask a question, kind of a, 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 a question that has nothing to do with the hand. Yeah, and just to try to get his reaction. I mean, is that something that that you could incorporate? 
incorporate into your, you know, other than waiting for two minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I've never done that. I know that people do that effectively, right. Where they ask Mm -hmm. him like, yo, so, you know, what's your favorite fast food restaurant or something and just get them to be like, and if they can naturally quickly answer, you know, it's Arby's, then maybe they're feeling more comfortable. And if they're kind of like, just, you know, like you're like, okay, they're, they're nervous. I've never done that because I'm just not as comfortable with being like the speech play guy. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I've heard that that can be some uh, a tactic you try if you're comfortable yeah, doing it. That's one thing that Brad Booth used to say. He would go up to some. Uh, he, his favorite question to ask in those types of situations was, "Have you ever seen a baby chi- uh, baby pigeon?" <laughs> because pigeons grow up, they they're toddlers for a very short period of time. They don't leave the nest, so most people have never seen a baby pigeon. So that will just, and it'll be out of the blue, total non sequitur. And the thing is, is if I were to ask that question, I wouldn't know how to evaluate the results. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like getting a lab result test at the doctor and they give you a number. It's 45. (laughs) Okay. What is that? You know, that's meaningless unless you understand how to interpret it. That that is a great that is a great point though because what you're really trying to define decide is how comfortable is my opponent, and so anything that you can anything that you can elicit from them that's going to sort of that they should normally be able to do like in a natural and comfortable way, um, that's going to be an indication. And and this is really the prime spot when someone has shoved and the action's on you. You're the only person left in the hand. Like okay. This is your time. Mystery player who's listening to this. This is your time. Take as long as you want. You're facing an all-in shove. Um, you can ask them questions. You can talk about your own hand as much as you want. Um, there's there's nothing prohibited uh, at this point because the only action that's left is yours. So ask your opponent questions. Wait. Gauge their response. Um do anything you can that'll be helpful yeah chris i'll give you i'll give you one more too which is like if you're playing against the the beginner we're talking about that level one player and you get the like sigh exasperated (laughs) shove like just fold like like instant fold like that is like the most dead giveaway tell that has ever been on the earth yeah. Either that or the statement, oh, I guess it's time for me to go home now. Yes, me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. I, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. All right. I guess this is my hand, everyone. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll also give the big head shake on the river card. Like, oh, yeah. Like when that river card comes in and then you get the shove <laughs> over your back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's funny. Yeah. And so I get, and the, the one thing that it does kind of, it, it starts with a lot of weak means strong and strong we means weak. Uh, but those can be kind of easy for people to start faking. If, if if So it all comes down to, again, just with the rest of poker, what level is your opponent on? Are they on the level of just used to being playing online like me and just like smiling or frowning naturally <laughs> according to the action? Here, Joe, did you have something there? Yeah, well, if you look at some of the neuroscience literature, particularly in terms of when people are thinking things through what they can't do is they cannot speed up their thought process. So if, like, if you look at the concept of do going through a swing uh, in your mind, like mm-hmm. imaging it, or it, it actually takes the exact same amount of time to go through that, regardless of whether you're thinking about it or you're doing it. And when you look, comparing that to when you look at Elwood's books, 
that's actually one of the things that's the hardest to fake. It's like if you're thinking through your decision process uh, to decide how you're going to bet, you can't actually speed that up. You have to kind of go through it. And the faster that they are, that means they don't have to think about it. Uh, so it's one of the ones that you actually can't reduct down. That's cool. I love I love it when we get to bring in some hard science on the side of this because so much and so much of the live tells are so sort of like anecdotal and uh, um, very unscientific. But that's great. It makes perfect sense to me too. Anybody else? Any uh, tells or fake tells or uh, anything like that? Um, doesn't look like it. Well, then we're just going to wrap this baby up. So that means I get to thank our wonderful friends, website Mark at Website Amp, and of course, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Thanks to Taylor Moss for writing that one in there. And thanks to Rob, Kim, Joe, John, Stu, Keith, John, and Chris, and you, the listeners. Uh oh.